This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are bringing our study of Torah to a close by exploring the book of Deuteronomy, examining its call to remember our stories. Yeah, so this is, boy, session one. We're coming to a close here. This is this is it as far as studies go. We're going to have a capstone podcast uh, next week uh, to kind of really close up session one formally before we start session two. Um, should we tell our listeners about uh, session two? It's going to be its own unique podcast for anybody that's... Yep, that's a good point. Okay, so uh, session two is going to be a separate podcast. So if you're somebody that has subscribed to this podcast and automatically dumps and downloads into whatever podcasting app you use, uh, the next session, which will be Bema podcast session two, Prophets and Writings, that's going to be a, a separate podcast you're going to want to subscribe to. It's not going to automatically download into your phone or other mobile device. So be aware of that. Uh, Brent will be posting instructions for that on the website and adding that to our repertoire, if you will. And if all goes according to plan, I think we will have that available uh, next week when episode 32 posts. Cool. So you can subscribe to the new one. Awesome. That'd be great. So yeah, uh, it'll all be there, but uh, today we wrap up our study portion, and, and because of that, because of what's coming next week with the capstone uh, review, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time reviewing today, but maybe a little bit of review, because I can't help myself. Because it's always good to remember. It's always good to remember. Uh, so yeah, we have been, obviously we've we've walked through Genesis, we met the family of God, we entered into the narrative that God is telling in the story of the Exodus and the, the Passover. So God rescues his people. He leads them to Sinai where they enter into a covenantal relationship that the text often uh, portrays as a marriage, uh, a wedding that they had at Sinai. And, um, and then after that, uh, we built the tabernacle, uh, which led to a whole lot of uh, questions about uh, what's this big tent in the desert for and um, uh, this call to be a priesthood. You know, what does it mean when God says be a priest? What, is, what does that look like? And so we looked at the book of Leviticus and and we understood what priesthood looked like, at least in God's world and God's economy. We looked at the four roles of priests and then they had to go learn. They had to go learn what that meant. I mean, they got they got rescued from Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai. They had a, they had a wedding and they got married uh, but what would come next after the marriage ceremony, Brent? Oh, we have to have a honeymoon. We've got to have a honeymoon, especially in their culture, because in their culture of arranged marriages, you don't. there's a good chance you don't even know your groom. So there has to be a period here where you get to know your groom. In this case, their groom is God. And Israel has to go get to know who God is and what God is uh, trying to teach them. They need to, they need to be shaped as a as a partner, as a bride, God's going to take them out into the desert. He's going to mold them and shape them into the people he wants them to be. Um, it's going to be a crucible. And so we walked all through the book of Numbers and we looked at images of the deserts. And we talked about shepherds. We talked about trees. We talked about Meinheim uh, and uh, Engedi and Wadis and just all that kind of stuff to try to understand how God shapes us in our own deserts. Uh, we, of course, wrapped up the discussion last week of uh, Moshe and striking the rock and the promised land. Oh, which brings up this wonderful point. Had one of our listeners, one of our usual contributors, Christy, uh, wrote me a message about an hour after we recorded the podcast last week. Of course. 
<laughs> she didn't know we that's were how, recording. That's how things go. She didn't know what we were doing. Uh, but she was just an hour off of just adding this wonderful, delightful. So one of the things we talked about last week, we talked about Moshe and striking the rock. And I always feel so, I don't know what the word is. Like, you don't want to walk out of that lesson feeling like we've just beat beat up Moshe. Like Moshe, the greatest leader outside of Jesus in Jewish history. I mean, we don't want to we don't want to sit around and throw stones and be like, "Well, Moses was an idiot," don't you think? Uh, I mean, the the epitaph at the end of this book, at the end of Deuteronomy, the epitaph of of Moses is uh, is just something fantastic. In fact, let me let me actually read the epitaph of Moses. All right, here's these uh, closing verses to the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, we can't sit back and criticize Moses too much because if these were our parting words, like if there was a book written about us and these were our parting words, we'd we'd have it pretty good. I can't think of too many people outside of Jesus that would, would top this. Listen to this. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moshe, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt? to Paro and all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moshe did in the sight of all Israel. I mean, without a doubt, Moses has a pretty special relationship. And uh, Christy, she sent us, we have, a, we have a mutual friend who leads his own tours over to Israel, has done so a lot longer than I have. His name is George, George DeYoung. We've talked about him before. And uh, he, he teaches on this idea of Moses not getting into the promised land. He doesn't do the same lesson that uh, that we necessarily did in our last podcast, but his point might make an even better closer than than I had last last week. And, and that is, you know, this phrase here in the Hebrew, I'll, I'll read these closing verses again, just one more time, because it's worth it. Moses was a pretty good guy. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moshe, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Paro and to all his officials in this whole land? For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moshe did in the sight of all Israel, whom the Lord knew face to face, verse 10 said of Deuteronomy 34. The Lord knew face to face. The Hebrew expression there for face to face is not what we might assume when we read it. Um, Christy had these pictures of her time with George and he had, he had taken this married couple and he had brought them out in front of the group. And he said, I want you to stand face to face. So they stood face to face. And he said, that that's not what the Hebrew face to face means. I want you to, I want you to actually come together in a, in an embrace. And so they came together in a, a warm embrace, look into each other's eyes. Okay. He said, that's not what the Hebrew face to face means. And so he said, how about you put your forehead, like touch foreheads and stare deeply into each other's eyes. So they did that. And he said, that's, that's not what the Hebrew expression face to face means. And then he said, how about you give, it was a married couple that I say that. How about you give each other just a, a, a marital kiss, like kiss each other. And so as they did that, that is the expression of face to face. And not only does that continue to um, just heighten this image of, of marriage and wedding uh, language. But I mean, to, to have, I mean, can you imagine the scriptures expressing the relationship that you had with God uh, by, by expressing it with language that suggested the kiss between two lovers? I mean, what a, uh, George's point, I don't think that Moshe really cared that he didn't get into the promised land. 
which I loved that that comment. And I wish I would have had that last week because it would have been an even better closer. Like, yeah, for all these reasons that Moses doesn't get in, and maybe he makes some, I believe he makes maybe some huge, massive mistakes. At the same point, he had a relationship with God that was such, I don't think he cared. I don't think he cared about a bunch of dirt and a promised land and all that stuff. I think I think he had been, in George's words, I think he had been to a better promised land already. Like, I think he lived in a promised land of true intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. That's pretty good. Pretty good. As someone commented to me uh, some time ago, uh, an older gentleman, he said, you know, I'm half his age and I can tell you at 120, I'd be ready to be done anyway. (laughs) It's so true. So, yeah. So before uh, we let Marty get too hard on on Moshe, uh, I think there's some lessons to learn there. I think the text wants us to learn lessons about how to use our voice. Um, I think the text wants us to learn lessons about anger and the danger of anger. I think the text really wants us to learn lessons about which stick we want to use. Do we want to use Pharaoh's stick or do we want to use uh, the, the, the stick that points to God's authority and use our voice and let God be a shepherd for us and for others? I think those are really important, really big lessons. At the same time, uh, we don't want to take a whole lot away from Moshe. Moshe was a pretty astounding guy. I, I wish that a book could be written and it said of me that I knew God face to face. Oh, what a, just an incredible expression. But anyway, Deuteronomy. So we can take from there and jump right in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy ends up being the last, the fifth book of the five books of Torah, the books of Moshe we talk about. And um, this book has a, has a definite call to it. This book is written. So let's, let's talk narrative for just a moment. Uh, we, we did that little mini review They've wandered through the desert. They've been shaped and molded by God. Moses is coming to the end of his life. God has brought them up to the edge of the promised land. They're sitting, maybe literally, maybe metaphorically, on the banks of the the eastern banks of the Jordan River, about ready to, to walk in. And Deuteronomy kind of comes in, as far as how it fits in the narrative, Deuteronomy comes in as... These are kind of Moshe's parting words. Like this is his last chance to take take it all, take all the story of Torah and wrap it up, tie it up in a nice bow and give it to the people in a way that they're going to carry it with them. Like this is his kind of his closing speech, his closing teaching, uh, if you will. I, I don't mean that literally as much as I do in a, as, a, as a word picture, as an image, but that's kind of how this book fits. Now, in light of that, Deuteronomy comes as a call a call to remember where we came from. And so we have actually a presentation for you uh, today. You can pull that up. It's a PDF. Uh, but we have, a, we have a, a call to remember where we've come from. The words that stick out to me in Deuteronomy, there's a couple different sets of words that stick out to me. The first one is the idea of remember and the idea of do not forget. I mean, the incessant, repeated insistent call of Deuteronomy. As they go to enter the promised land, one of the last things that Moses wants to leave with the people is do not forget. Remember where you've come from. Remember your story. Do not forget the things that you've learned. If we forget the deserts in our life, uh, we they're wasted. The deserts have to shape us. The deserts have to go with us. Our stories of exodus, our stories of rescue and liberation, our stories of deliverance, they have to be a part of our story. We can't ever forget those 
or else it radically puts our it puts us in radical danger of losing the plot of what God's trying to do in our life. And so uh, Moshe is trying to impress us on the people. And so what I did was I pulled up uh, the word remember just to see how many times it shows up in Deuteronomy. And the word there on your on your first slide there, the presentation, the word is zakar. Uh, the word for remember is zakar, to recall, to call to mind. If you go to the next slide, you can see the references. And if you look towards the, the middle of the screen, the bottom of the list there, you see the first two references in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, you shall remember. I mean, just listen. This is going to start to be like very, very repetitive. Realize that this is the cadence of Deuteronomy. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. But it starts with this, remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Deuteronomy 7, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Paro and all of Egypt. If you go to the next slide, the list keeps going. There's actually 14 references of Zakar here in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God led you those 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know it was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And later on in Deuteronomy 8, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers, as it is this day. Deuteronomy 9 has two references. So the very next chapter, two more remembers. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. 20 verses later, remember your servant Avraham, Yitzhak, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or the wickedness or their sin Deuteronomy 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. The very next chapter, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you are to eat eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you might remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Nine verses later, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. You shall be careful to observe these statutes. Deuteronomy 24, remember that the Lord your God, what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. Nine verses later, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Deuteronomy 24, again, four verses later, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Very next chapter, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 32, the last reference to this, Zakar word. Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father, he will show you and your elders and they will tell you like Moses wants to tell them to remember. And just so I can make this point, I'm probably already kicking a dead horse. doesn't matter. We're going to make this point anyway. We're going to jump to, how about the word forget? So the very next slide has the word shakach and that, uh, that word means to forget or ignore, to wither, uh, to cease, to care, um, so there's going to be a call to not forget. So if you go to the next slide, you see those references, nine references uh, to this word in Deuteronomy. So there's 23 references in Deuteronomy to either remembering or not forgetting. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart uh, depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. 
later, less than 20 verses later, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, or make a carved image in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. Uh, Eight verses later, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant. God doesn't forget. We shouldn't forget either. Deuteronomy 6, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Or 8.11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes as I command you today. Three verses later, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, five verses later, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods, that chapter had two references to remember. So in that chapter alone, there are two references to remember, three references to do not forget. Seems to be a pretty big deal. Deuteronomy 9, remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 24, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf, and that's probably a bad reference there, but uh, you know, one out of, uh, so we, sh- we should knock our number down here to the 22, I suppose. 22 references of remember and do not forget that are relevant to our point here. Uh, Deuteronomy 25. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all the enemies around you, in the land the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Deuteronomy 26. And you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. And moreover, I've given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Deuteronomy 31. uh, When many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall comfort, confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. Uh, Deuteronomy 32. That same song we quoted with the remember word with the zakar, this word shows up as well. You were mindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot, you were unmindful, excuse me, of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. So this, these two words just over and over, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, multiple times in many of these chapters, don't forget, don't forget, remember where you came from, remember, like this phrase, like remember you were slaves in Egypt, that is why I command you to do this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that is why I command you to do this. Uh, remember your story, because when there's something that happens to us when we forget where we came from. When we forget that we used to be slaves in Egypt, and now I'm speaking metaphorically for them in this story, literally. Um, when we forget that we come from a story of slavery, Uh, we start to treat everyone around us differently. Um, One of the things that shows up in this passage quite a bit too, and I I didn't want to just keep throwing data into our slides, so this one actually isn't in your presentation. But one of the phrases that comes up quite a bit in Deuteronomy, uh, the other phrase is the alien, the orphan, and the widow. There are these three groups of people that God seems incredibly adamant. If you remember where you came from, you're going to notice and you're going to remember the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Why do you suppose that is, Brent? Why are we going to remember those groups of people? Because those are the people who are pushed out of every other society. Right. In a lot of ways, that's who we were. So if we remember our story, we remember that we were pushed to the edges of society. We were slaves. We were aliens. We were orphans. We were widows. If we remember where we came from, well, we're going to remember uh, the same thing for groups of people around us. I, I think this is, I mean, I don't, 
necessarily want to get everybody's political hackles up, but this is something I think we need to remember here, even with our own history. I mean, wh- where do we come from? Where does America come from? We are a nation of migrants. We're a nation of immigrants. That is exactly what America, uh, who we've always been. And here we are struggling as a people uh, with this idea that we got to keep them all out. I think there's a danger here. I think there's something we can learn from the call of Deuteronomy. Do not forget your story, because if you ever forget your story, you won't do the same for others. And it's at that point that God's going to have a problem. Uh, It's at that point we're going to lose the plot of what God's doing in the world. But you actually have a list of the references, uh, if I uh, remember correctly. You have a list of the references to the alien, the orphan, and the widow. You search for the word widow in Deuteronomy. So uh, let's see uh, what we got here. What's your first reference in Deuteronomy? So we're starting at 10.18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So fatherless, orphan, foreigner, alien. Yep. You have a passage out of Deuteronomy 14? Yeah, uh, 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. Okay, so in the midst of Deuteronomy, which keeps calling us to remember and don't forget, it's giving us these laws and these commandments. And at the end of many of these commandment sections, this is where the phrase shows up, remember that you are slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. So in the midst of all of this, remember that you are slaves. And because of that, you need to make sure that you bring your tithes, you bring a little bit of your extra, come and set it aside in the gates and the cities of your towns so that you can then distribute it to those who are in need because you know what it was like to be them. Uh, if you ever forget where you came from, you're not going to do this. Um, so what's your next page? You got to Deuteronomy 16? 16, yeah. Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. All right. So again, and you heard right in the middle of that passage, that call to remember you were slaves in Egypt. That's why the Lord commands you to do this. So these aren't just a bunch of, I mean, in a lot of ways, Deuteronomy is kind of the second giving of the law. In fact, there's even some etymological connections there to the the second giving. Uh, Moshe is kind of reframing or rephrasing or resetting the law in their current cultural context. But, um, these aren't just, and we talked about this with Leviticus. Like if we went back to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus wasn't just a random set of laws. Leviticus was about mission. It was about being on mission as a priest. 
and we're on the same idea here in Deuteronomy. This isn't just a random set of laws. This is how you're going to harvest your field. This is about mission. This is about what God's doing in the world. This is about you remembering where you came from. And because you know what it's like to be an alien, because you know what it's like to be an orphan, because you know what it's like to be a widow, because you know what it's like to be a slave, I want you to do all these things with your harvest. I want you to do these things with your festivals and your parties. I don't want you to ever forget the alien, the orphan, widow. I want them to be present at all of your celebrations. Only then will your joy be complete. And you know this because it's you, it's who you used to be. So don't forget where you came from. What about Deuteronomy 24? Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook or forget, as you mentioned before, a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. So because we remember where we came from, this affects the way we're going to harvest our field. We're going to leave some of the extra because we know what it's like to not have enough. So we're going to take, God's given us enough. We're going to trust that God's going to give us more than enough, more than what we need. He's going to give us just enough. At the very least, he's going to give us just enough. I can wait on every word because I've learned all these lessons in the desert, because I remember where I came from. It's going to impact the way I leave grapes on the vine, olives on the tree, corners of my field. I'm going to leave some for those in need. And notice there's no extra explanation. It's not like, well, they didn't work for that. I mean, who planted the field and who cultivated the field and who plowed the field and then who harvested the field? I did all the work. Why should anybody else get to? Because you remember what it was like to be on the outside because you remember, because you remember where you came from. That's why. Um, I think there's so much for our culture uh, to learn here. Um, and anyway, go ahead now. Give me your next one. Deuteronomy 25. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. There's a whole section of Deuteronomy devoted to exactly how we're going to take care of of widows in different ways. In this way, how we're going to take care of this widow in producing children to carry on the family line. Like this is not woe to a culture who would find groups of people that aren't culturally productive, who don't produce, who don't contribute, and would then marginalize them and push them to the outside because it's easy to just kind of shoo them away sweep them under the rug. Uh, Woe to a culture who would do that. 
Deuteronomy says, you know what that's like. You will not forget. You have to remember where you came from and you have to take care of people like widows. And this is exactly how we're going to do it. Um, What about Deuteronomy 26? When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. And again, this idea of forgetting and remembering is connected to my generosity. It's connected to my spiritual discipline and my spiritual practice. It's connected to my tithing. It's connected to the way I harvest. It's connected to the way that I uh, interact with others. It's connected to my social involvement. I have to remember where I came from because it's going to change everything about everything. We got one more, uh, Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. And all the people say, Amen. This is, this is big. This is big for God. Uh, and again, I, I don't like to beat up um, my history and the faith I was raised in. My, my faith uh, handed me a lot of very, very good things. I'm very thankful for uh, my church, and I'm very thankful for people that invested in me. But I wasn't taught about this until way, way too late in my life. I wasn't taught that God cared about the alien, the orphan, the widow. Um, I was even taught about the book of Deuteronomy. I wasn't taught that this comes up. Uh, I didn't even count how many references there were to that, but I wasn't taught about a call to remember and how it made a difference. And the alien, the orphan, the widow. That's This isn't going to be the first time we hear this, is it, Brent? No. We're going to hear this in a few few different prophets. It's a theme. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to hear this in almost all the prophets, and some of them quite deliberately are going to call us back to Deuteronomy, the alien, the orphan, the widow, the alien, the orphan, the widow, Isaiah, just an insistent presence of the alien, the orphan, and the widow, uh, defend the cause of the, the, the orphan, plead the case of the widow, Isaiah is going to say just over and over and over again. This is, this is a big deal, and uh, we don't want to miss it as we go through here. God says, when you remember, in fact, the next slide on your presentation, uh, when we remember where we came from, we notice the alien, the orphan, and the widow. The next statement, when we take care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow, we are reminded of where we came from. So this is like a cycle that keeps us right in the spiritual sweet spot of where God wants us to be. It's no wonder that that all throughout the Old Testament and then into the ministry of Jesus and the parable of the sheep and the goats that we looked at not too long ago. Like, it's no wonder that this is the theme that just keeps popping up because if you don't remember where you came from, you're not going to see the alien, the orphan, and the widow. If you do remember where you came from, you're going to notice them because you're going to be like, I remember what it was like to be that. I remember that. And so if you remember where you came from, you're going to take care of them because you remember how hard that was. And then when you take care of them, it reminds you of where you came from. It's this, it's this like endless loop. It's a good endless loop. It's like the endless loop that God wants us to get stuck in. Uh, always be remembering and let them remind you and then you take care of them and then they're going to remind you and then you take care of them. And sometimes you'll find that you are them and others are going to take care of you and it's going to be your opportunity to remind them. It's this, it's this just never ending loop. So one more thing I wanted to uh, just make an observation about Deuteronomy and we'll just kind of uh, close the conversation with this. There's, there's a, uh, that was maybe the, maybe what we just got done doing was the more poetic way 
to address Deuteronomy. Now we can look at this from more of a literary, academic, uh, textually critical perspective. Um, there is in the ancient world, your next slide, uh, a form of ancient covenants. We have lots of different uh, um, examples of ancient covenants. We've talked before about suzerain vassal covenants. Um, that is most definitely one of the main covenants that we see. I can't remember if we recommended, by the way, if you want a good book on suzerain vassal covenants, Epic of Eden by Sandra Richter. Can't I don't remember. know if I remembered it for that specific episode, but I've pretty sure we've recommended about right. 10 times. So. All right. Well, there you go. It's a good book. That's if people don't know it. about the Epic of Eden by now, we're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong. Okay. That's good. Um, but yeah, uh, so these suzerain vassal covenants seem to follow, not every single time without exception, but in a very general way, they seem to follow the same five section outline. Uh, most of these covenants would start with a preamble, just a little intro, a little beginning to the covenant opening statement. And then the, the covenant is going to give some kind of historical uh, outline. It's going to, it's going to tell the story of how we got here. And then uh, the covenant's going to have like the guts, like the whole reason the covenant is being made between suzerain and vassal is the suzerain is wanting to define, here's all the laws, here's all the rules that you're going to follow in this covenant in order to be my vassal. This is what you have to do. Uh, now, if you be my vassal, I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll do all these things. But here's the list of rules. After the list of rules, the list of demands, the laws, uh, there's always a section on rewards for obedience and punishment for disobedience. Now, here's the thing about that. The the rewards for obedience are always a pretty short section, almost without, without exception. The suzerain's like, all right, listen, if you obey me, it's going to go well for you. And then the section for disobedience, the punishment section, is always way longer, like 10 times longer. It's the suzerain wanting to make a point uh, to the people, the, the vassal. Uh, the suzerain's saying, listen, if, if you obey, things go well with you. However, if you don't obey, let me tell you in graphic detail all the things I'm going to do to you and your people and your nation. I'm going to make it crystal clear. That if you obey me, it will go well for you. If you don't obey me, this is not going to end well for you. Let me tell you in very hyperbolic, electric language how bad it's going to go. And then, uh, of course, it will wrap up with some form of conclusion. Usually, they're going to have some form of song or a poem, something that's easy to remember. Because the everyday person isn't going to remember the, the actual legal document, the covenant, they're not going to remember all the details. They're not going to remember all that stuff. But the suzerain is going to want the vassal to remember the severity of the covenant itself. And so there will be some some kind of song, some kind of easy to remember theme that will kind of wrap it up that they can repeat and they can sing and they can remember year and year, year in and year out. And so what's interesting when you look at Deuteronomy, some of you might have even realized where we were headed with this, the next slide there. If you look at Deuteronomy as covenant, it follows this exact uh, uh, model. I mean, you realize that Deuteronomy is being presented as a covenant. The preamble is chapter 1a, just the very first part there of chapter 1. You'll see the historical summary that goes from the end of chapter 1, about the middle of chapter 1 through chapter 4. The bulk of Deuteronomy is all of the demands and the rules and the laws. 
remember you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I commanded you to do this. By the way, if you'll notice, those two words, remember and forget, uh, almost all of them, there's a few exceptions, almost all of them show up in this section, chapters 5 through 26. Here's the demands, here's the rules, here's the laws from God. Uh, the rewards for obedience are in Deuteronomy chapter 28, just the first part, short little section. Deuteronomy 28 is an incredibly long chapter. You can look at it in your own Bible. Uh, punishment for disobedience, however, takes up the entire rest of the chapter. And if you've ever read Deuteronomy, it's the disturbing part. It's It talks about how bad it's going to be. Like, if you obey, I'll send you rain. I'll take care of your land. Uh, you won't miscarry. You'll It will go well for you. And then, and then the end of chapter 28, like the last three quarters of it is the punishment section. But now that we understand the context of covenant, A, it helps me understand what's going on here. They would be very, very used to this. They would expect the punishment conversation to be very hyperbolic, very drawn out. But as you read it, you also notice it's also different than the typical suzerain vassal covenant because this isn't, it's not a suzerain making all of these imperial threats. It's It's a God and covenant relationship saying, if you don't listen to me, if you don't do what I'm inviting you to do, things are not going to go well for you. It's a much more covenantal conversation than a fear-based conversation. There's still some pretty disturbing verses in there. Deuteronomy 28 is a pretty crazy chapter to read. It's going to upset many of us, and maybe it should, because that's the whole idea of this section of a covenant. And then chapter 32 is what we know as the Song of Moshe. And so there's your conclusion to the book of Deuteronomy. But we could also extend this even to the books of Moses themselves, many scholars have pointed out. You could look at all of Torah as a covenant. So if you go to the next slide, you see, well, our preamble, well, that's Genesis. We talked about Genesis as a preface and an introduction. The historical summary, really the story of Torah is the story of Exodus and God taking them to Sinai and uh and, and and marrying them. Leviticus, well, that obviously is the list of rules coming right in the exact order. The book of Numbers is actually where they they experience both the good and the bad of being shaped in the desert by God. So they experience the rewards and the punishments uh, in the book of Numbers. And then Deuteronomy ends up kind of being that conclusion to to the covenant. And so you can see Deuteronomy as a very deliberate attempt at suzerain vassal. You can also see Torah as a whole as a very deliberate attempt at a suzerain vassal covenant between God and his people. So, And I like that idea of song in Deuteronomy because you have this repetitive like chorus of remember and forget. And right. Alien, orphan, widow, right. remember, don't yep. forget. Exactly. Absolutely. And in fact, really great if anybody ever wants to uh, listen to any of Foreman's material on Deuteronomy 32 at Aleph Beta. Um, just love his stuff there. It's the oddest song. Like every year uh, for Sukkot, we read, uh, Jewish families read the song of Moshe every night. It's a pretty disturbing song. Like the song basically says, you're going to jack this up. <laughs> I mean, that's, Deuteronomy ends like not with this happy ending of oh, everything's going to be wonderful, and here you go walking into the promised land. Deuteronomy ends with Moses going, and you're going to mess this whole thing up. You're going to sin. You're going to rebel. But Foreman explains how in the ending of Deuteronomy, Moshe's also telling them, 
but you're also going to make it back. Yeah, you're going to screw the story up, but you're also going to make it back. And let me tell you how you make it back. And um, so great teaching out there about that stuff. But love it. That's Deuteronomy. That's it. That's Torah. That's pretty, pretty big deal. Yeah. Only took us a whole academic school year to get it done. But here we are at the end, ready to march into session number two. Yep. Like it. All right. Well, if you live on the Palouse, join us for discussion groups in Moscow on Tuesday or in Pullman on Wednesday. Definitely check the website because uh, schedule will be changing on that. Uh, but we'll keep you up to date. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. You can find me on Twitter at EIBCB. You can find more details about the show at BaymontDiscipleship.com. And also a reminder that we do have a map of discussion groups around the country. So check those out. Those could be going on throughout the the entire year. We don't know. We're, we're not really there. Um, but we hope you get involved. And thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. time predictions on this one i'm i'm betting 25 really okay i don't know we'll see all right